Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. Thank you for joining us for Three Women, Three Ways, the radio show that helps people um, come up to speed on a lot of issues regarding women and our culture, violence against women. And the uh, one issue that we're talking about today is a huge issue. It is rapists having access and uh, rights to uh, shared custody of their children that are conceived of rape. Um, horrible, uh, a horrible situation. And with us today is Shauna Pruitt. She's an attorney, and uh, she's in, uh, you're you're in Chicago, right, Shauna? Correct, correct. Yeah, and she's in Chicago, and uh, she comes to this through her own personal experience, and so she feels very strongly about advocating for women who choose to parent after a rape. Now, Shauna, tell us a little bit about your background as far as your education, would you please? Yeah, sure. Um, so I graduated um, from college at the University of Chicago. Then I went on to Georgetown Law School, um, and really there is when I started kind of looking academically at the laws surrounding women who mother through rape and started yeah. analyzing kind of what protections are available, what protections aren't available, and uh, published a paper, and it's been going full steam ahead ever since. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of people, a lot of the, uh, the people that I spoke to anyway this week, just aren't aware that rapists can have parental rights. Um, they just assume that somebody who is a rapist would not be, out of common sense, would not be allowed to have access to the child. But, in fact, just the opposite is the case. There are only, um, well, there, there are 31 states where rapists can sue for custody, they can sue for joint custody, um, and they are considered for joint custody. Um, how did this come about, Shauna? Well, um, you know, I, sh- I should clarify that in, in all states, rapists can sue for custody, but um, okay. the, the number from 31 has actually gone down now to 23. In 23 oh, states, wow. there's not a law that explicitly um, terminates or restricts parental rights of men who father through rape. And so in, in okay. those states, judges don't have statutory authorization saying, if there's a rape conception, you can terminate or restrict parental rights. And so but I think that... Go ahead. Go ahead. But it's, this only applies to women who choose to give birth as a, if they are pregnant as a result of that rape. Is that correct? I mean, that, that's obviously. That's correct. Yeah. Um, go ahead. I was going to say, and then, then there are also states that have even issues in the adoption realm where a woman who's been raped but decides to place her child for adoption still has to get parental um, notification and consent from the rapist father. There are less states yeah. that, um, that don't have laws kind of addressing that situation, but still there are states that haven't addressed it, which is uh, crazy in my mind. Oh, absolutely. If you'd like to join us in this conversation, and I hope you would, our call-in number is 646-378-0430. That's 646 378 Zero four three zero. Shauna, tell us 
your most concerned what you're most concerned about about this issue right now? Well, I think that um, I think there's a lot of misconception around the rape experience as well as the choices that women who become pregnant through rape make. And so if we look at the statistics, you see that between 25,000 and 32,000 women every single year in the United States are becoming pregnant from rape. And of those, um, a separate study tells us that at least a third of those women are making the decision to keep and raise their child. So that's a substantial number of women each year that are making this decision. And I think what ends up happening is a lot of these women who have been raped don't realize that in making the decision to raise their child, they are potentially setting themselves up for a custody battle with their rapist and potentially being tethered to their rapist for the rest of their lives. Um, I have heard stories where rapists, even from jail, have sued for uh, visitation. Absolutely, and there are cases where women have been required by um, courts to, you know, every so often take the child to, to visit the, the man in, in prison. Um, so it's, it's just a really uh, terrible situation. And you can imagine if you're a woman who's trying to recover from a rape, how difficult that would be if you're having to constantly co-parent and interact with your rapist. Mm. Um, so, so there are terrible, horrible circumstances um, that our law is kind of set up where a woman might be forced to co-parent and become a family with her rapist. Um, and so that's the kind of thing that keeps me up at night and trying to make sure that there are legal protections in place so that a woman can at least have access to the courts, make her case, and hopefully get the protections that she needs. What's the likelihood um, if the, the mother um, uh, says she was raped? Is that enough to um, uh, trigger alarms for the family court? I mean, do, uh, or does it have to be conviction? What, what has to be there in order for the family so, court to at least discuss terminating his rights? It, it depends on the state. Um, one thing to keep in mind is that the right to parent is a fundamental right that comes out of the Constitution of the United States. Mm-hmm. And so as a yeah, fundamental right... Uh, it's very, very difficult to take away someone's right to parent. And so at even the very if they are rapists. Even if they are rapists. So at the very least, in states that have these laws, a woman would have to come in and prove by clear and convincing evidence that she was raped. Um, what is clear and convincing evidence? I like to think of it as 85 to 90% certainty that this woman was raped and conceived in rape. So it's not the criminal standard of beyond a reasonable doubt, but it's still an extremely high standard, and it's very hard for judges to get there. But that's what the United States Supreme Court said has to be the standard. Um, now, states are allowed to go above that standard and require a criminal rape conviction, and the majority of states that have these laws have required a criminal rape mm-hmm. conviction. I don't agree with that for approach, but um, at the very least, we do have a lot of states that have opted to go that route. And we know under normal, uh, under ordinary circumstances, if that's the correct word to use, it's extremely hard to, to get a conviction for a rapist. It, it is. Many rapists rape is are never most, convicted. It, it's true. Rape is the most under-prosecuted, serious crime in America. Um, and that's, that's a problem with uh, the rape culture and what, what we as a society tend to view as rape. 
uh, we as a society tend to think of rape as a stranger in an alley with a, a gun or a knife, you know, hurting a woman, when really rape typically happens um, between individuals who know each other. There's usually not violence other than the difference in strength between a man and a woman. Um, you know, that's what rape typically looks like, but it's hard to prosecute when it looks like that and doesn't look like the stranger rape. But then on top of that, you have prosecutors who are really leading the show in terms of who gets prosecuted and who doesn't. And we've had cases where a woman says she was raped, but a prosecutor pled this case down to, say, assault or battery. But that's not sufficient under the law in order to get a termination of parental rights because you have to have a rape conviction, not an assault or a battery conviction. Um, so wow. you can see where that creates extra hurdles for a woman because the decision on whether to prosecute and what charge to bring is really out of her hands. Wow. Well, let's back up a little bit because some people might be surprised that there are raped women who choose to um, have their child. Can you give us any insight into why that uh, decision might be made? Uh, do people uh, just uh, disagree with abortion, or do they uh, think that, that uh, you know, get, a, get us into the mind of someone who uh, might choose to keep a pregnancy from a rapist? Yeah, there was a, there was a book written on this um, a few years ago, and women who had conceived in rape were questioned know kind of why they, they made their decision as you can imagine some of it was religious beliefs but a lot of women said you know I felt um, a sort of kinship with this child that was growing inside of me I very much felt like I was dead when I had been raped and it was just amazing um, and wondrous to me that there was this life growing inside of this body that otherwise felt so dead um, many women said that the child gave them the only source of hope that they could see in the future um, and really was instrumental in their healing. So it's just, you know, kind of amazing. You have to remember that women respond to rape in all sorts of different ways. And um, I think that a lot of, there are a lot of women, and we don't tend to hear their viewpoint in our culture, that tend to view this as something that um, ends up being the good in, in the midst of the bad, as opposed to, you know, exasperating the rape experience. Well, having been pregnant, I mean, I can understand that that uh, sense of um, being a part of you. Um, yeah. I don't know, never having conceived of rape, I don't know, you know, if that would change for me, if that were the case, but I can certainly understand a woman who is pregnant feeling a connection to that child and, and uh, very early on feeling uh, love for the child. So um, is there, I think, I'm, I, well, I'm just kind of talking out loud here. I'm wondering if there would be a difference between a woman who chooses to continue a pregnancy through choice and through those feelings, and one who continues the pregnancy simply because she is um, opposed uh, to abortion. That's probably a, an answer nobody, or the question nobody can answer, but it's interesting to contemplate, I think. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think that the woman who maybe, you know, does not believe in abortion, um, you know, probably feels that way because she views life as beginning at conception. And so to the extent that she views this, this, you know, being growing in her as a life, I think that that 
that might change the feelings that she would have towards the pregnancy, regardless of the circumstances of the conception. But I don't know. That's just me thinking out loud as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we do. I'm sure it's very individual for each woman. But I think um, that's right. It's, a, it's an interesting question. I think um, the Hollywood version is that you know the woman gives birth through rape and hates the child forever and ever and becomes an evil witch and blah blah blah. And I yeah, suspect and that that. Yeah. And it's fascinating because the abortion rate for women who conceive in rape is actually not that much higher than just the average abortion rate um, across mm. all pregnancies. And uh, they've they've even gone in and talked to the women who didn't choose an abort or who chose an abortion, and some of them said, you know, it actually had nothing to do with my feelings towards the child so much as I was a young woman. This was an unintended, unwanted pregnancy. Um, and that that was the decision I made, and it wasn't so much tied to the rape, it's tied to the fact that I wasn't intending to be pregnant at the time. Hmm. Biology is interesting. Mm-hmm. It is. And um, you have to forgive me. I'm I'm trying to suppress a cough right now, so if I sound like <laughs> I'm, I'm not completely there, it's because I'm sitting there trying to not cough. Um, <laughs> if you um, had it to do over again when you uh, were older, do you think you would have made the same decision in your particular case? Um, absolutely. I mean, I think the hardest okay. decision in, for me, right, was making the decision as a 21-year-old um, because I was at the point in time where I was just getting ready to graduate from college. Um, my whole life changed in an instant. Um, suddenly, I, I became a, a scared, fearful individual who had a really hard time just getting off the bathroom floor every day. Um, and to be in circumstances where I had no money, <laughs> I wasn't even a college graduate at the time, and I didn't know what my path in life would be, that that was a terrifying circumstance um, because I didn't know how I would even support this child. And so, you know, now I'm in a very different position where I'm an attorney, I've gone through law school, you know, I have the money and means to support a child. And so I think it would have been an easier decision here um, rather than a different decision. Well, I think I find that whole thing fascinating because I think um, I have always assumed that if a woman chose to continue a pregnancy from a rape, it would be not necessarily because she has the same warm and, and, and uh, hopeful feelings about the fetus that other uh, conceptions, uh, women who conceive in other ways have, and so I'm learning something here. <laughs> Thank you yeah, for that, you know, Donna. It's, it's really interesting, and you know, I can only speak from my own experience, but I sometimes, I, I only have my one child, I don't, I don't have more than one, and I sometimes wonder if it would be fair to have more children, because I can't, I can't imagine loving them any more than, than my own child, because I just view her very much as as someone who just really saved me during such a difficult and dark circumstance. Um, so it's, it's interesting because if you would have asked me at age 20 how I would have thought that I would have responded, my answer would have been very different. Um, but I guess you just never know until you're in a circumstance where you're faced with with that choice and you have to decide which way to go. Yeah. I would assume, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, I would assume that your child knows of her, um, who or what her father was, 
because you are so vocal and so much in the media. Um, what about women who um, want to keep that that a secret from the child? Because I would imagine that that's a burden for a child. Um, are they? They're they're not. They're just not able to keep it a secret from the child if the child has to visit daddy. Right. Right. Um, you know, it's a very difficult circumstance because if you have a woman who is forced into a co-parent relationship, um, you know, she's got to be very careful not to speak negatively of the father because of parental alienation syndrome, which is this idea that sometimes parents will go on a crusade against the other parents and try to turn the child against that parent. And courts have actually strict custody from women and, and from fathers who engage in those kinds of behaviors under the guise of parental alienation syndrome. Yeah. Um, Which, so it can be in a all very... fairness, was invented by a pedophile. So <laughs> I have to get enough. that in there. So, <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, so it can be a very difficult kind of line um, to walk. Now, when I was going through counseling, my my counselor was of the opinion that you know, you don't you don't overshare with your child. You don't go out of your way to volunteer information. But if you're asked certain questions, you answer succinctly and directly. Um, and so that's always been my approach: is to just answer openly and honestly. My daughter, you know, she doesn't have any exposure to the internet. Um, she's still too small for that. Um, and at the same time, you know, she def- definitely knows certain things about her conception. And um, so far, it's been uh, actually a positive experience for us because she's able to, I think, at least now at her young age, view, you know, me as the victim and her as something of my hero, uh, which is very cute. And it's absolutely how I view her. And so I think it's um, at least so far we're handling it great. (laughs) But we'll see how things change in the future. Now, she's, she's, what, under 10 at this point? She's... Almost 10. So we're Almost getting 10. very, very close to her, to her birthday. <laughs> oh, once you get into those double digits, it just goes so fast. <laughs> so so oh. I've heard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, I remember having my last child thinking, okay, I'm going to enjoy this child and, and revel in every second because I know how fast it goes. Well, yep. forget it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it goes fast with you or without you, you know. <laughs> I totally so, agree. And, Unbelievable. Yeah. So enjoy um, that stage as long as you can, and uh, you know that's that's my recommend unsolicited recommendation for you is just enjoy. Um, I look back now and I think, gosh, I got so in a swivet over things that really don't mean much. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I spent all this time, you know, worried about. You know, did you brush your teeth the right way? And you know, uh, which teacher? You know, for school and. Yeah, you know, uh, now that I look back on it, I think those things were really small, small things, and I wish yeah, I hadn't wasted don't so much effort on it. Stuff. Yep, exactly, exactly. Well, <clears throat> for women who find themselves in a situation where they have to, first of all, do do they uh, the, does the rapist have to be convicted in order to be considered a rapist in this scenario in family court? It depends on the state. In the majority of states, yes. Um, in the other, so it's 14 states, yes, you have to have a criminal rape conviction. In the other 13 states, 
you don't have to have a criminal conviction. However, there does have to be a finding in the juvenile or family court, depending on which, how, the, how the court system works in each state, um, that the man conceived a child through a non-consensual sex act, if you will. Um, yeah. Now, that kind of finding in a juvenile or family court does not mean that he is a rapist for criminal purposes. Um, sure. But it does it does provide the level of proof needed to restrict or terminate his parental rights. Yeah. And as I stated we, before, that's that's the clear yeah. and convincing evidence proof. Yeah. But there are, as we all know, many, many rapists who never face criminal charges, let alone get a, excuse me, get a conviction for rape. So that, I would think, would be the majority of the population we're talking about, where women That's have right. to really, yeah. So if a woman conceives of rape, obviously it would have to, it couldn't be a stranger rape or she wouldn't know who, who you know. Well, wait a minute, I'm trying to figure this out. If you're raped by a stranger, you can't possibly know who that person is. So it, does, it, it really depends. You, you could have a circumstance where a woman's raped by a stranger. He is arrested at some point and becomes aware of the pregnancy through the criminal process. And it may be that the police or the prosecutors decide not to go forward with the case but nevertheless, now this man who was, who was once a stranger has become aware that there's a child out there and may be interested in taking advantage of the power that can come from tormenting a woman who's seeking access to her child. Um, oh, yeah. you know, I get asked a lot, why would a rapist even want to exercise parental rights? And if you look at the cases in which this happens, Sometimes I think it's all about power, right? Rape is is not about sex, it's about power. There's nothing Mm -hmm. more powerful than tormenting a human being by using their child. Um, And then then we have also seen another strand, several cases, where rapists actually use the threat of parental rights as a bargaining chip. And so what they'll do is they'll come in and say, listen, if you agree not to testify against me, I will agree not to seek or uh, parental rights or custody rights. And um, raped women have said that you know they're put in a position between choosing whether or not their perpetrator will be humbled by the criminal court or whether they can protect their child. And so women feeling that the law is not on their side in terms of not having the protections in place for them will often choose to protect their child over protecting themselves or society from a man who is raped. Um, I find that so the stakes are very high here. This is why we need these laws, so that women can feel that they are in a better position to bargain with somebody who's trying to take away their everything. Huh. <clears throat> when women face these situations, um, it, it's just so hard for me. It's hard for me to even question you, because the whole scenario is so um, twisted where a, a rapist could actually um, have these rights, you know, to go after his child. Um, when a woman finds herself in the situation with a child, does, does does child support come into it? Do they ever get ordered to pay child support? That's actually a fantastic question. Um, 
So uh, an, another way that um, men who rape will sometimes find out that they are a father is that if a woman goes to the state to try to seek welfare or um, any kind of state funds, a lot of states require that woman to write down or inform them of the name of the father so that they can go after that person for child support or reimbursement for the funds that the state is putting out to support this woman. And so those are, that's another common circumstance in which we've seen a woman who says, I need the money to live, but at the same time, I don't necessarily want this man to find out that I you know, conceived a, a child during the rape. Um, so that could be a, a very difficult circumstance. But, but once the father knows about it, um, in the states that have laws that explicitly terminate or restrict based on rape conception, the majority of states say, if you use this law, you forfeit child support. Um, so if you can imagine, you have a woman who says, I need to protect my child, but at the same time, you know, I might not be able to get $100,000, say, over the period of 18 to 22 years in child support payments. And, you know, we see time and time again women who say, that's fine. I will figure it out, but I yes. can't co-parent with this man. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so that's, and, of course, that's very similar to what happens in a lot of domestic violence cases. Um, absolutely. Where a woman will give up a lot in order to protect her child. Um, so... You know, what can I say? We women watch out for our kids for the most part. Um, I agree. And, you know, it's funny. I feel like there's this there's this, this fear that's sometimes spoken where people say, oh, we shouldn't be creating more laws for, that allow women or, or even men in some circumstances to come forward and restrict parental rights because we might have people that are imposters or liars come forward and use these laws. And... Yeah. You know, I'm skeptical of that, um, even though I'm sure it happens in some circumstances, but I'm skeptical because I would think that if a woman wants to get back at a man, it's much more powerful to get at his pocketbook for the next 18 to 22 years as opposed to going in and stripping custody and it thereby losing um, all this mm-hmm. child support. But, you know, that's just... Well, they've actually done some, they've actually done some research and um, on... Uh, people lying, men and women lying in family courts about, you know, different situations. And the rate for, of women who lie, according to the study, was about 6%. The rate for men who lie is about 6%. So sometimes people lie, you know, just people. Yep. But it's a very tiny, tiny proportion right. of people. Right. Um, and I think sometimes the, the, the powers that be forget that. They, they assume that it's a much higher proportion than it really is. I, I agree, and we see the exact same statistic. Well, it's actually smaller than that. When we look at, you know, there's this perception that women always falsely cry rape when actually the false report rate is at or below the false report rate of other violent crimes. So there's this perception that's just not supported by reality. Well, we have a history of assuming that women lie and manipulate. So, you know, after thousands of years of those kinds of assumptions, you know, right. it, it seems, um, you know, logical that they, those assumptions, or at least some of them, would persist today, unfortunately. unfortunately Let me give out our phone true. number again. 
um, our phone number, 646-378-0430, and that is 646-378-0430. Give us a call and join in our conversation. What advice, Shauna, would you give to a woman who is raped and finds herself pregnant from that rape? And she comes to you and says, what should I do? You know, I, I think that that's extraordinarily hard. Um, I'll be honest with you, because I, I know when I was, was raped and I was facing this decision, you know, my decision was very much driven by, can I do this? Can I afford this? <laughs> Would I be yeah. a good parent? Concerns like that. It never even dawned on me in any way, shape, or form that I could t- potentially be setting myself up for a very devastating and long-fought custody battle where I could have lost. Um, luckily, okay. I did not. And so I think that it's it's a hard circumstance where a, a woman now can be in a position of having to make that decision but then armed with the knowledge that that this potential battle does loom on the horizon. So, you know, I think that at the end of the day, you have to know yourself. You have to know what you can live with, you know, the choices that that are right for you as an individual and as a human being. Um, Because, you know, at the end of the day, the the battles that loom ahead, they could be there, but they might not be there. And um, you have to be able to, you know, look at yourself in the mirror and, and, and sleep at night. And... I don't know what that decision is for, you know, this person or that person, but I do know what the decision was that was right for me. And um, so it's a difficult circumstance, and I think that we just need to to be uh, better as a society about putting these protections in place so that a woman can think in that circumstance, you know, while there are some laws in place, and um, maybe I'd have a chance of prevailing under those laws instead of, letting fear drive her decision to make a choice that might not be right for her. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I would think that a woman who is raped has a huge amount of problems. A woman who finds herself pregnant as a result of that rape has, uh, you know, exponentially more um, um, problems and feelings and decisions. And then a woman who finds herself, who has the child of a rape, who then has to deal with the, the... parenthood, the fatherhood um, issues and uh, custody issues, I can't imagine the level of stress, trauma, whatever you want to call it, that some of these women go through. Um, it, it just uh, boggles my mind. Uh, is there it's any enormous. kind of support? Yeah. Is there any kind of support group for women who find themselves in this situation? Um, you know, there's there's not a kind of organized support group. I am part of a nonprofit organization called Hope After Rape Conception. And it's um, an organization, it's the first of its kind, that's developed exclusively not only to you know, try to promote awareness about these issues, but also designed to be a place where women who are experiencing them can come and can find someone who's been through it and can you know, kind of help them as they go forward, um, because these experiences are horrific. Um, studies show that 
a, a woman who's been raped and has to go through the criminal proceeding because her rapist is being tried will often delay her healing until after the criminal process is over. So if you have a criminal trial that goes five years, a woman doesn't even begin to heal until after that five-year period. Imagine if you have a circumstance where a woman could literally be tied to her attacker for the rest of her life because of this co-parenting. So it's an enormously difficult process. You have women that have been battling for a a lot of years because the the family and juvenile courts can be very slow. um, Oh, yes. And, you know, they need a lot of support, and they need a, a lot of, of hand-holding and, and people just telling them that it's it's going to be okay and we'll get through it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, degrees of family support vary. Um, so, you know, again, that's, there's that issue. You know, is, is the woman likely to have a lot of family support uh, in making the, those decisions? And sometimes no. Uh, sometimes right. they're, they're kind of hanging out there all on their own. And uh, my heart just breaks um, for a woman who has to go through a custody battle with um, a rapist, uh, with her rapist. I I just, like I said before, it boggles my mind. If, excuse me, if you were going to change laws, if somebody gave you the magic wand, you can change the laws everywhere, what would you do? How would you make it? Well, um, so I I have been privileged to um, have been a part of the conversation in a number of different states over the past few years in helping lawmakers decide kind of the best law that's right for their state and their circumstances. And the laws that I tend to think are the best ones um, tend to have a few things in common. One, I think that it's critical that we not require the criminal rape conviction Instead, the standard of proof for termination or restriction should be by clear and convincing evidence. So clear and convincing evidence that a rape conception occurred. I think that's critical. Um, I think uh, another thing that I really like to see is where um, you have a provision like, like in Illinois, which is my home state, where the woman gets to decide whether or not she wants child support. Um, I think that having it completely cut off for them is is really unfortunate. In in a lot of states, not all, as you as you mentioned, but in, in a lot of states, you can still maintain child support payments, even though there is a restriction or termination of the privileges of parenthood. And I think that it's critical that we not punish a raped woman for conceiving a child through rape by by cutting that off. Having said that, there are some raped women who say, you know what, I don't want any child support. I don't want his money. I feel that it's tainted, and I don't want a monthly reminder in the form of cash that, um, you know, that, that this happened. And so I think it's critical to put the decision in the raped woman's hand as opposed to artificially taking away the money or the court forcing the woman to take the money because it's a it's a a matter or principle under the law that a child should be financially supported by two parents. Um, so as long as those kind of two elements are, are there, I tend to um, think that those laws are, are pretty good laws. And, you know, some states, they, they have kind of different routes of getting there. Some have statutes that aren't gender specific so that you could actually have a, a man who uh, was raped could use this law as well. 
Um, some states choose to carve out certain crimes, so statutory rape might be carved out. Uh, marital rape might be carved out. And I tend to not be a strong believer in, in carving out rape, yeah. rape, certain types of rape. I think that that decision should be left up to a judge who's looking at the evidence and looking at the facts himself. But Yeah, rape is where um, but that, yeah. I, I totally agree. And we've taken such great strands, you know, steps as a society to get marital rape criminalized and greater protections for statutory rape. And so it's just frustrating to me to see some states want to go back in there and carve those out again. Hmm. But, but there yeah. you have it. Well, uh, you know, like we were saying off air, I mean, the, the courts often seem seem to operate under, uh, um, and I am a, a, a kind of I'm suspicious of women, um, or you know, she's she's if there's a liar, it's likely to be her, kind of a mentality. And I think that that's rather historical, and hopefully someday we'll get rid of that. But, and uh, certainly some courts have already gotten rid of that, and judges. But um, I see a lot of family court situations where you know there's just that underlying uh, feeling that somehow or other the woman is either more threatening or you know the more the more likely to be the liar or you know just right. do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And you know, with these laws, I should add, we ha- we have kind of a chicken egg problem here, because, you know, these laws need to get in place. But my my big fear, and it's something that I really spend uh, probably too much time thinking about how to fix, is that even if every single state, all 50 states, have laws protective of this population of people, the laws aren't going to do any good until we as a society. Um, and as in the judiciary kind of change our mindsets about what rape is, what rape looks like, and more importantly, how people respond to rape. Because if judges are coming to these cases with the mindset that no really, no legitimately raped woman, if you will, um, would ever choose to give birth to a child conceived through rape, then even if there's a law in the book that says that you can terminate in, this, in circumstances of a rape conception, that judge, I bet you, is going to have a hard time finding that a rape actually occurred there just because of the decision that the woman made at conception. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, whether that was uh, a prejudice against women who uh, choose to uh, continue a pregnancy uh, that resulted from yeah. rape. I was actually involved in a case that happened... Um, within the past year where the attorney who represented the father actually made that argument several times over the course of the the case about how, you know, a woman who was actually truly legitimately raped could never make the decision to give birth to the child yeah. conceived in rape. So, so this woman must not have been a, a, a raped woman. Um, so we, we definitely see that argument come to play. And, okay, you have you to know, tell me though what the, what the result of that argument was. Did did they win their case or did they not? They ended up winning their case, thankfully. <sighs> um, but you know they had a judge in that circumstance who was, I think, open-minded enough to realize that what the media or what Hollywood might tell us is the norm for how a raped woman responds is not necessarily the case. Um, and instead we do have a huge chunk, at least a third of women, which I think is unbelievable, who are making the decision to not only 
give birth to, but then to raise the child that they conceive in, in their crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's a huge percentage. Um, I, I agree. And and I must say, I really admire those women. I really do. I admire you, Shauna, uh, for making that decision. Um, because I think, that, well, for me, I, I'm not anti-abortion. Um, I do think that Abortion shouldn't be a first choice, but, you know, I mean, who would make it a first choice? Um, but I do think that, um, no, I lost my train of thought. Isn't that terrible? I, I do think that uh, oftentimes we make such assumptions about uh, women and babies and motherhood and, you know, those, uh, those whole, like you said, the whole Hollywood image um, of what, how a raped woman is supposed to behave. Um, that it just it's it, it's hard for me to even verbalize some of these things, um, but I must say I I truly admire a woman who decides to go on and make um, you know make her child a happy child and a successful child and you know to do all of that with this extra burden and I can't imagine having to fight for custody of your child while you're doing it it, it just is astounding to me. Well, you know, so I, you I, don't, and I was just going to say, I don't think in my circumstance that I I was making that choice, you know, because of any reasons of altruism. I very much was making a choice that was right for me because I thought this is how I'm going to find my way forward. Um, sure. This is what's going to get me up off the bathroom floor. And so that's, you know, while I appreciate <laughs> your admiration... Um, you know, I, I really was making a choice that felt right for me. Yeah, well, and even if it's, uh, you know, a choice for you, it's still um, it's still admirable, I think. You know, um, uh, if, anyway, I won't go on and on because it's a topic I don't really know personally, so um, <laughs> I won't make further assumptions, but I do find it admirable. Um, I also, you know, don't blame a woman who, who wants to terminate a pregnancy. Um, it's just tough. It's just tough no matter how you look at it um, in that situation. When uh, um, we started this conversation, the research that I had said 31 states did not have laws protecting um, uh, mothers, uh, uh, you know, uh, what, what do you call them? Uh, the, the women who choose to have the baby as a result of rape. Yeah, uh, women who yeah, mother that, through yeah, motherhood through rape, that's it. Um, and there were 31 states, and then now you said that it's actually down to 23 states that do not have uh, any laws protecting um, rape uh, progeny, a rape, a motherhood through rape. Um, is things Are things happening that fast, or is this an they, issue that... They yeah, they are happening very quickly, um, and it's it's amazing. I think that for a long time, when I would go and advocate for these laws, the very first question I ever received was, "Wait, do you mean to tell me that women actually choose to conceive and give and, and raise a child that they that they had to rape?" Um, I don't get that question anymore. It seems to oh, me really? that there's been a yeah, it seems that there has been uh, an awareness more raised um, among the legislators, at least, 
that women are making this choice. And now the questions become, what's the right response to that? I still get the question, do you mean to tell me rapists actually seek parental rights? Um, But I'm not seeing that question anymore. So I think that just the general awareness that that women are making these decisions and um, some awareness that there's not laws in every state that stops this from happening has caused a lot of legislators to step up and and take a step forward. Um, One thing that I think is super cool about this legislation is that it it really appeals to people on both sides of the aisle. Um, so mm. I'll go into a state, and sometimes the the lead sponsor is someone who is, you know, pro-life, um, Republican, very right-wing. Um, and then the next state I'll go into, it's the, you know, pro-choice, Democrat, uh, most liberal in the party. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, they all see the value in this legislation. I've even testified in support of legislation where both Planned Parenthood and the Right to Life organization in the state have testified in support of the bill. And uh, I was in New Hampshire earlier this year, and the woman who was speaking for Planned Parenthood there said, this is the first time in the history of our organization where we and Right to Life of um, New Hampshire have testified in support of the same piece of legislation. So it's an an amazing type of legislation that I just really think can cross so many divides that um, are hard. And so it's it's fantastic. Yeah, Yeah, it is. It's fantastic Uh, to just see that. Where politics can be set aside for humanity, um, I guess I would call it. Yeah, and it's rare indeed. so, well, that's encouraging that things are happening fast. If somebody uh, in a state that doesn't have these laws, well, first of all, I wonder if people are aware whether or not their state has these laws. Um, and I would suggest that everybody do a little research. I, I have to say that I was shocked when I researched my state, um, but hopefully that's changing uh, rather quickly. Um, but first of all, inform yourself. Find out whether your state does have laws protecting uh, mothers through rape. And if not, start lobbying for it. Um, You know, start uh, giving your legislators examples of legislation from other states that have good legislation. Um, I think I used to do a little bit of lobbying, Shauna, and I think one of the most effective things you can do is show legislators a sample or an example of what other yep. states have done what, uh, successfully. Because um, sometimes when we just go to our legislator and say, well, you need to do this, you need to do this, it's kind of like saying, okay, write an essay. W- well, on what? You know. <laughs> so if you give them a, an example from another state or two, then that gives them some sort of foundation for, oh, this is what you mean. And then that's something that they can get on board with. Um, any other advice? for people who want to become involved in this issue? Yeah, I think uh, the organization I'm involved with, I said Hope After Rape Conception, uh, the website for that is hopeafterrapeconception.org, is a great place to start. It has a list of all the states that have laws um, protective of women who mother through rape. So that's a great kind of place to go to to find up-to-date information about whether or not your state has that type of law. Um, Okay, give the website again. Yeah, it's hopeafterrapeconception.org. 
So all one word, hopeafterrapeconception.org. And um, then there is also contact information there of all the board members. Um, and I think a great place to do start is email one of them. If you're looking for examples of legislation um, or bills that might work for, for your state, we have it. So that's a, a great place to start. Wonderful. But first of all, you have to inform yourself of what is happening in your state. What if somebody would like to help a woman in these, situ- these situations? Um, can they make donate donations to an, an organization? Does your organization take in um, contributions to help support women in these uh, who have conceived through rape? It, it does, yep. Um, you you can donate through that website. Um, another p- great place to to donate is um, there are various I call them the coalitions um, in every state. There's uh, an organization. They're slight they're named slightly different in every state. But for instance, in Illinois, the Illinois Coalition Against Sexual Assault. There's always the state name and the coalition in the name, and yeah. they are organizations that are devoted to increasing legal protections through the legislative process for uh, raped women, for women who have undergone sexual assault, for domestic violence victims. And it's a, it's a great place, too, to get involved um, and to donate your, your time or your money. Okay. Um, I, and uh, RAIN is a national organization that mm-hmm. is very helpful to women um, uh, who need resources uh, after rape. Um, that's a national organization. It's R A I N N. I don't have their website in front of me, but I think if you Google Rain, um, yes, you'll, Rain.org. You'll come right over. Yep. Um, okay. So we have a woman who has conceived. She's in court, um, fighting for her um, to terminate parental rights of a rapist. What happens if she doesn't win? Well, uh, that's. That's always the possibility, and we've seen cases where um, a woman, I know of a woman in Minnesota right now who is co-parenting with her rapist, and um, in that circumstance, the the judge has been somewhat sympathetic to trying to accommodate the parties. Um, For instance, they co-parent by email as opposed to calling each other on the phone. Um, and then they drop the child off in a public location. But you can still imagine that this is a horrific life circumstance to to live through. Um, but the judge there, and this was really sickening for me, released an opinion that said, um, basically he, he believed that a non-consensual sex act, uh, act occurred here, but said that just because a, a man would, would harm an adult female does not mean that he would harm his child. Um, yeah. And I think that, that, first of all, that sickens me. But I think second of all, it really the focus is not just on the child in these circumstances. It's also on that woman, that woman mm-hmm. who has to constantly um, be confronted with stimuli from her rape, right, by being confronted with her rapist. And so yeah. you can just see where well, the judiciary is, is struggling with this as well, and which is why I say we've got we to change the mindset of judges too. Not just about the law. Well, and as you mentioned, that Second Amendment, um, you know, the, that's been interpreted as the right to parent. Um, you know, judges are very wedded to that. 
you know, they, they really see that as a priority. And sometimes they don't understand that uh, a, somebody who hurts the mother of a child hurts that child, either directly or indirectly, when a child has to go visit a father who is a rapist. What can, I mean, that must, how can you, um, how, I mean, children come back from visitation and they have stories and they say what daddy did and da, da, da. And it's difficult under the best of circumstances. I, do, I can't imagine how a woman handles that. What Do, do they have to be aware of the uh, non-quote alienation factor as well as, I, I mean, it must be very difficult to say, you know, daddy's a rapist if the child has to go see him. Right. Yeah, and I mean, you you bring up an excellent point because you do have a woman who is going to have to make a judgment call. Do I go forward and try to terminate or restrict parental rights on the basis of this rape, or will I, um, in doing so, potentially set myself up for losing parental rights myself because of parental alienation? Right, it's a horrible dilemma that that women have to face, and. Um, you know, that's a kind of a problem that we'll probably need to continue to face going forward. Um, but, you know, can't solve everything <laughs> with one piece of legislation. Yeah, exactly. So the important yeah. thing right First, now is that we even have a place where she can go and, and have her voice heard. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's what I'm wondering about with support groups locally. And, and I'm not aware of any support groups specifically about that. So that's where you said contact the um, uh, state coalitions mm-hmm. uh, to see and, if and there is any kind of... Yeah, and they, they tend to be just so um, in tune and intelligent about the, the options in, in your state about who to go to, where to get help, and setting, setting women um, up with the right people. So I think that was a fantastic place to start. So the first thing that a woman could do when she's raped is to seek support. Um, Absolutely. You know, after, yeah, yeah. And um, there's also, and I'm not recommending this because I don't know anything about it, um, but there is a website called After Silence um, that um, supposedly has some support for women who have been raped. And uh, you can find them on Facebook. They also have a website. And uh, there are a number of websites that are for, um, you know, there are message boards and support groups that are uh, interspersed on the Internet under rape support or rape help. I can't recommend any of them. Um, I think that the first thing I would do is to contact that state coalition. That's, I think, where you can go to um, to get directed if one of these other groups is good. I think that's right. Okay. And, and it's, it's amazing. I, when I started looking at this in 2010, there was basically nothing out there. I think I found maybe half a dozen websites that even kind of talked about this issue. And now you Google yeah. it and you're going to get you know, slammed with stuff about this issue. So we're going in the right direction. We've still got a long way to go. Good. So. Now, you said that about a third of women who are raped choose to parent. Correct. How many people are raped each year? Um, I'm not sure of the total number, but between 25,000 and 32,000 women are giving, are becoming pregnant 
from rape every single year. So, you know, that's a huge number that are becoming pregnant, and you can imagine that that's just a very small subset of the total number of women each year who are being raped but not becoming pregnant. Well, and and I believe, again, another study that I read, actually a woman is more likely to conceive during rape than she is uh, under normal circumstances. Apparently, you know, adrenaline or pitocin or whatever is generated uh, through that fear and that experience. you know, uh, that uh, study came out right after that uh, congressman said that most women who are raped don't have babies or they're, what did he say, that that, that they have a natural immunity the, to... Yeah, the body the whole body know. shuts the whole process down, I think, was something like yeah. a statement that, that was made. <laughs> uh, yeah, it doesn't work yeah. that way. Um uh, would be nice if it, if it did, but... Um, it doesn't. It's woeful ignorance it, it, that demonstrated woeful ignorance in my in my opinion. So I agree. we've got <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and again, uh, you know, I would encourage people who are upset by this issue find out about your state, find out where it stands, and um, you know, go get some some uh, help from Rain on uh, sample legislation. Um, to, you know, get yourself organized, get yourself um, knowledgeable, and start getting to your legislators, your state legislators. Um, sometimes it amazes me how many people don't even know who their state legislator is. And these are the people who are making the laws for your state. And if they do not have a law regarding um, motherhood through rape, I would really encourage you to get active. Um, and uh, hopefully join the state coalition because maybe they're doing a lot of political work too, trying to influence the law. We're almost out of time, Shauna. Any final words for us for this show today? Uh, no, I just I appreciate you bringing you know greater attention to to this issue. And um, you know, as you just said, I would absolutely encourage anyone to contact their state legislature. This is a really easy fix. It's, it's not that difficult. The framework for terminating and restrict, restricting parental rights is already in place. All it is is about adding another sentence usually to the law that allows rape conception to be an additional ground for termination or restriction. Um, yeah. So there's really not a cost involved. It's just about getting out there and making sure this happens. Yeah. Yeah, and that doesn't. And if you can make it happen or if you the state that has this law doesn't mean everybody's home free because some of them require an actual conviction uh, before they will terminate rights. So, uh, you know, it's not a walk in the park no matter how you look at it, but at least with the law in place, you have some place to start. I would like to give the National uh, Sexual Assault Hotline 1-800-656-HOPE. That's 1-800-656-HOPE. And you need support after a rape, then I suggest you call that number and they will be able to direct you to places near you that can help support you. Shauna, I have learned so much today and I still feel pretty ignorant about this whole issue, uh, but I really appreciate your coming on and joining us and, and uh, you know, you definitely are the expert uh, in this United States and I appreciate your efforts, I appreciate your, your uh, constant messaging to try and resolve and, and uh, take care of this nasty situation. So well, thank you, Shauna. I appreciate it. Thank you. 
Good. And uh, if you uh, uh, liked our program today, you can reach it on archives, uh, blog talk, Three Women, Three Ways. Thank you for joining us. We will be back next week, and uh, join us then.